Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. One of my favorite spots at the Sea of Galilee in Israel is Tabga. Strange name, but what it means is Seven Springs, because it's the location where seven springs of water converge together to run into the Sea of Galilee. Because of these springs, the water is warmer in that alcove on the north side of the sea. That makes this area perfect for catching fish, because as the temperature in the water rises, fish become more active and generally are easier to catch. So I read, because I'm not a fisherman. It's believed this is the location where Jesus called his fishermen to follow him. It could also well have been the beach where Jesus cooked a fish breakfast for his disciples after he'd risen from the dead. It was definitely here that God touched Peter's heart twice. As we read these passages today, we may find God reaching out to touch our hearts also. Join me, Debbie Blank, today as we examine the spiritual importance of this location named Tabga. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. Jesus chose a great place to catch fish and therefore to catch some ordinary fishermen. He purposely chose these specific men at that specific time to follow him and become fishers of men. And he chose a specific place, too, one you may have never heard of before until now. Tabka is located on the coast of the Sea of Galilee, where archaeologists have found an ancient harbor that would support the gospel account. Jesus not only chose to go there to call his first disciples, he also chose to return there to be with them after his resurrection. It's fascinating to tie in the significance of the events with the significance of the place Jesus chose. Together they speak about how Jesus continues to reach out to us in his grace, wisdom, forgiveness, and purpose. Will we turn to him, accept his grace and mercy, and respond to his call? Let's take a look at this passage from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, because we want to see how Jesus reaches out to us in salvation. We want to see what he did to call these fishermen to himself and what it meant to them and what it means to us. He begins in verse 1 of Luke 5 by saying, When it came about that while the multitudes were pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the sea of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. Here we see that Jesus is at a place where he is seeking people. He is going to where they are. He's wanting to seek them so that they will come to him. And that's what he does for us. He seeks us out. Jesus does all kinds of things to get our attention. The question is, will we answer? Will we look to him? Will we consider him? Will we follow him? Here he's at a place where the fishermen are. Now, this is the Sea of Galilee. The main source of income there was fishing and fishermen. So he goes to where they are to reach out to these people. He says now in verse 3, And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. Now, can you imagine? 
He's not only seeking the people, but he goes to a boat. There's no information here that he knew Simon Peter before this time. But he just says, let me sit in this boat. And Peter let him do it. That's Peter's livelihood. And yet he let Jesus come in his boat and they would have stayed near the shore. When we go to Tabka, it's like an auditorium. You have great acoustical sounds because of the water and the hills that go up behind it. So it's a perfect place for Jesus to speak to a large multitude of people. That's what he did. It goes on to say in verse 4, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Peter had already gone out to the water and let down his nets, and he didn't find anything. But what did Peter do? He showed respect to Jesus. Simon answered and said, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing. But at your bidding, I will let down the nets. Well, here we see his respect for Jesus because he calls him master. So either he had heard about him before or he knew something about him or there was something about Jesus that he respected. So when Jesus came in this initial call seeking out people, Peter was willing to listen. Think about it. I'm one who hates to waste time. So the idea of going back out and doing something I've already done that was unsuccessful doesn't make any sense to me. But it did to Peter. Peter was willing to do it. Are we willing to listen to Jesus and follow him, even if it doesn't sound like it's logical? And it's interesting, too, that not only did Jesus pick Peter, but he chose to get him personally involved. So he asked him if he could use his boat and if he could push the boat away from the shore so that he could speak So now you're kind of interested. He was washing his nets before, but perhaps he's a lot more involved now to listen to this man who has involved him in his ministry to an extent. After he listens to him, maybe he is a little bit more willing to do what he asks him to do, even though it doesn't make any sense. And that's just like God, too. He wants us to be involved. We can't just have this head knowledge and say, oh, yes, I believe in Jesus. We need to be involved with him, make a decision for him, obey him. Peter chose right here to obey him, even though it wasn't for salvation. It was for the fishing because there was something different about Jesus. And he was willing to follow him to see what was going to happen or where this was going to lead. Sometimes when God touches our hearts, we think, oh, maybe this is someone I should follow or somebody I should listen to. And that leads us then into a salvation relationship with God. Well, now in verse 6, we're going to see God move. It tells us when they had done this, which is going out fishing again, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. Now you talk about God moving. A lot of times people want to see miracles from God before they'll believe in him. I don't see anything here that says Peter was looking for a miracle. He was just simply willing to be obedient. And if we obey God, we will see miracles. He will do amazing things that are beyond what we could ever imagine or beyond whatever we could think of doing if we'll simply obey him because he wants to prove himself to us. Yes, he goes beyond whatever we can ask or think or imagine, and this is what happened to Peter. He goes out just in obedience and doesn't expect anything, really doesn't expect anything. And not only does he get something, he gets something 
not just abundant, but overly abundant to the point where it says the boat begins to sink and he needs help. And so this is a miracle. This is undeniable. These fishermen know what's natural and normal and what's a miracle. And they're seeing something miraculous. Now, if I was Peter and my boat began to sink and the next boat began to sink, I'm not sure what I would do, but they must have had some contingency plans. But Peter didn't engage his contingency plans, or at least it doesn't tell us he does. What it tells us he did in verse 8 says, But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He recognized Jesus as Lord right here, and he fell at his feet to worship him. Verse 9 says, For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. So we see their amazement, humility, worship, calling God Lord, repentance, so that they recognize Jesus as being God. Now, sometimes it takes really unique things before we recognize Jesus as God. Sometimes we do it easily by faith, but some of us are a harder nut to crack, and Peter was. And apparently Peter was the leader of a lot of these fishermen, so the people would follow what Peter said and what Peter did. It's interesting that once Peter recognized Jesus for who he was, he immediately recognized his own sin. Right away, it's, I am a sinful man. When I first read that, I think, well, why would he say that? But he knows who he's in front of. He has some idea because of what he's just seen. And immediately he recognizes Jesus's holiness and his own sin. And that's how Jesus touches our hearts too. In verses 10 and 11, it goes on to read, And so also James and John, son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. In other passages, that says, Come, follow me, and you will be fishers of men. And then he finishes by saying, And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Wow! Jesus so touched their lives. He so reached out to them that they saw him for who he was. They believed in him. They obeyed him. They saw him work miracles. They humbled themselves. They saw Jesus as God. They repented of their sins, and they now have a new life. They gave up everything. Would you give up everything? If Jesus called you right now to give up your job and your house and go to another city or country and be a missionary, would you do it? Would you serve Jesus like they did? That's a tall order. But when you know Jesus as your Lord, when he touches your life, when he reaches out to you, you're willing to do whatever it is that Jesus asks you to do. When you read that passage and think, yes, immediately they left everything, you think, how could they do that? And yet, after what they saw, how could they not do that? Exactly right. And they followed him faithfully. We know that Peter, James, and John were three of Jesus' closest companions, and many of these fishermen were part of his 12 apostles. They followed him all of his life until his death. Unfortunately, at the time of his death, they scattered. And Peter, more than anyone who said, I will never leave you, Lord, denied him three times, just as Jesus said he would. How difficult would that be to live with? When God gives us everything and he calls us to his eternal glory in Christ, how can we deny him? How can we turn away from him? But sometimes we do. 
we don't always do it with our voice or with our words, but sometimes we do. Sometimes we're not willing to admit Christ as Lord in our life in front of other people, which is similar to denying him as Peter did. But we also deny him by our actions, by disobeying him or going in our own direction or taking the ways of the world as our way of life rather than the way of Christ or putting ourselves on the throne of our lives instead of Jesus. One time or another, most if not all of us will turn away from Jesus. And that's a pretty humbling situation because once we turn away, well, we're just not always willing to come back. We just are ashamed at what we've done and we don't know that Jesus will be there for us. Now we should know that because it's in scripture, but we're not comfortable because of what we've done. That's why this story about Peter is so precious because we can put ourselves in Peter's place and think of how he must have felt after he denied Christ, how devastating that must have been for him. We talk about Jesus reaching out to us in grace and reaching out to us again in grace. That forgiveness, that mercy that he has, we're going to see in this next passage. That's right. Jesus first reached out to Peter in salvation at the place called Tabga. Now we're going to see Jesus reach out to Peter in reconciliation at this location called Tavga. Let's turn to John chapter 21 and read parts of this story so that we can see the correlation here and recognize why we believe both of these situations happened right here at Tavga. In John 21 verse 1, it reads, After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. That's the same place as the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Gennesaret. And he manifested himself in this way. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. <laughs> I read that and I think, oh, does that sound like us? You know, when things get bad, what do we do? We just fall back on our worldly ways, the ways that we've always known. And in this case, Peter's going fishing. Now, Jesus had told them to go ahead into Galilee, that he would meet them there. But while Peter's waiting, he goes fishing. He goes and does what he's normally used to doing. It goes on in John 21, verse 3 to say, They said to him, We will also come with you. They went out and got into the boats, and that night they caught nothing. Hmm, sounds like the first time that Jesus met Peter. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus therefore said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find a catch. They cast, therefore, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. That's just exactly like when God called Peter the first time. Is he showing Peter that this is Jesus, that this is who is calling him from the beach? Is he reminding Peter of that moment of salvation on that very spot? Is he getting Peter's attention to let him know that he's still calling Peter? Even after Peter denied him, he's still there reaching out. It goes on again to read in John 21, 7, That disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garments on for he was stripped for work 
and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the shore, but about 100 yards away. They were dragging the net full of the fish. Now see, 100 yards, I told you they weren't very far off the shore, and they could still hear what was going on on the shore because of the acoustics in that area. It goes on to say in verse 9, And so when they got out upon the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Now, why do they list 153? Didn't list the number of fish in the last one, except to say two boats were filled with fish. People always wonder why a specific number like that? One of the founding fathers named Jerome said that there were 153 species of fish in the Sea of Galilee. And that could be what's being referred to here. And the idea is, of course, if all of the fish are in this net, then Peter and the apostles will be fishing men from all of the countries in the world, from every species around the globe. That's amazing, and I had never known the answer to that question, so I'm glad that you cleared that up for us because it does. it's so like God to give us the idea that he is going to be inclusive to everyone, and there's more ministry to do. That there is. So he goes on to tell them in John 21, 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave them, and the fish likewise. Now, remember, they had seen Jesus take loaves of bread and fish and serve it to multitudes. And here he was doing the same thing for them. Jesus was serving them. The risen Lord, their master, was again serving them. It says in verse 14, this is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to disciples after he was raised from the dead. But that's not the point of this passage. Even though we've seen Jesus manifest himself in the same way as he did to Peter the first time, this is where Jesus is going to reconcile Peter to himself. It says in John 21:15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And that's agape love. That's God's love that's perfect that is uncompromising. Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I love you, but the word he used was phileo, which is a friendly love, a a love that's based on I love you because of what you've done for me. And so Jesus said to him, Tend my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Simon said back, Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. Now, lambs and sheep, were some are babies and some are full grown. So he again is taking that idea of taking care of all the people in the world. And he's giving that responsibility to Peter. Now, Peter has denied Christ three times. And yet here, Jesus so far has called him twice. And he's going to call him a third time to be the shepherd of the flock since Jesus would be leaving. How amazing is that with God's forgiveness for us and our sins? He goes on and says again, but a little differently in John twenty-one seventeen, he said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? 
Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you phileo me? Do you love me? With the word phileo. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. When what we see there is complete restoration to Peter. He denied Jesus and Jesus is restoring him. We don't see Simon Peter asking for forgiveness, but God knew what was in his heart. God knew that when he ran away that night after he denied him, that he was mortified, that he was grieved in his heart that he had denied God. God knew that he truly loved him, but he needed Peter to verbalize it. You see, even though Peter didn't specifically confess his sins here, confessing means to say it again. So God asked him three times, do you love me? Peter had to respond three times that he loved him. He needed to say again that he loved God to prove to God and more to himself that he was repentant of his sin and he wanted to follow and serve Jesus all the rest of his life. I was going to say the same thing. He needed it for himself, and Jesus knew that Peter needed this for himself so that it comes full circle. And it's so beautiful, that relationship between the two of them coming full circle and that recommissioning of him. So it's not just that, okay, you're forgiven, but it's you are still useful to me. I still trust you, and you're going to go out, and you're going to be somebody who's really going to do great work for me. And so this whole situation at Tabga where this is done for Peter and also in, in front of, I'm assuming in front of the other disciples so that they know that this has been completed too, that they know that Jesus has recommissioned him. It's just a beautiful thing to know that Jesus completes that picture. So from the first section that we read from the Gospel of Luke to what we're reading now, it comes full circle. And I know that that wasn't lost on the disciples either. That's right. Jesus never leaves us or forsakes us. Even when we turn away from him, all we have to do is confess our sins to him, according to 1 John 1, 9, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what Peter did. So after Jesus restored him, first he brought him to salvation at that spot, and Peter went out and served him faithfully for three years. Then he brought him to restoration at that spot, and Jesus told him what was going to happen to him. He says in verse 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to Peter, follow me. So he ends this relationship with Peter by telling him again, follow me. You made a mistake. You repented from that mistake. I have forgiven you. I have plans for you. And those plans include your death. You're going to die an agonizing death for me, but go ahead and do it and follow me until that time comes. And Peter's heart was such that he was willing to do it because he knew who his Savior was. He'd been called once when Jesus reached out and brought him eternal life through believing in Jesus as the Messiah, and now he's reconciled. Okay, this kind of brings up the question of after Jesus and Peter are reconciled, and he says, follow him and feed my sheep and so forth, then he tells him how he's going to die. Why would he do that? You know, here's how you're going to die 
follow me. It makes me wonder if Peter might want to just pause a little bit, chew on his fish a little bit longer and think about this, because that's not a real encouraging invitation. (laughs) That's for sure. And looking at this, I would think that Jesus' point that he is making is that, Peter, you made a mistake. Peter, I love you. I've reconciled you back to myself. I know your heart is that you wanted to be. That doesn't mean everything's going to be great. You're going to go forward now and things are going to be tough. We know from the book of Acts that after Peter preached his first sermon, after the day of Pentecost, that he was then shortly thereafter put in prison because the leaders didn't like what he was preaching and what he was saying about Jesus being resurrected. What Jesus is saying is, it's not going to be an easy life as you walk with me. Remember, Jesus said, if he's persecuted, we're going to be persecuted. He wanted Peter to know that just because he's reconciled with God, it's not going to be a rose garden. It's going to be tough, but Jesus is going to be with him all those days until that happens. Turned out that Peter was crucified upside down. He did not feel worthy enough to be crucified as Jesus was, so he asked to be crucified upside down when the time of his death came. At least that is according to tradition. He so loved Jesus that he was willing now, after he'd been shamed by what he did once, that he was willing to follow Jesus. And Jesus, he doesn't give us this rose garden. He doesn't tell us life's going to be a bowl of cherries once we accept him. He lays out our responsibilities. And with Peter, his responsibility was going to be death. As a matter of fact, all the apostles were martyred except John because they served and preached Jesus. And because as Jesus was killed, they also were going to be. Tough thing to hear. And then, as you say, to have Jesus say, now you're going to die, you're going to suffer, but follow me. And Peter did. He did with all of his heart. He knew what was coming. When we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, at least when I did, I thought, wow, this is great. Everybody's going to think the same. We're going to feel the same. We're going to have this kumbaya time all the time. Life's going to be perfect. Well, it's not that way. We run into problems. Jesus has to grow us closer to him. He has to scrape off the dross of our lives. So there's going to be problems. There's going to be issues, and especially when we stand in the name of Jesus. If they kill Jesus, they're going to kill us too. Maybe it's not physically, but it could be with our jobs or with our reputations or anything else. But what we see is that if we truly love Jesus, and Peter did, he was willing to follow him through that, and we should be able to, too. Because it's not by our might or our power, but by God's Spirit that we live in this world. It's by his power for his glory. Peter knew what it felt like to fall away, and it wasn't good. And so he's willing to not ever do that again. If you've been saved, if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you've walked away or you've shamefully done something that you are afraid to confront Jesus with, and you don't think he'll listen to you, you don't think he'll draw you back to himself, he will. He's standing there with open arms, desiring for you to come back to him. He wants to reconcile with you. He wants you to follow him. All we have to do when those times come is confess our sins before Jesus, repent in our hearts, and he is ready with those open arms to accept us back into his flock and to give us new direction on how we should live. Satan and the world would do everything in their power to keep us away from Jesus, from being reconciled by believing that we are not good enough that thinking that we've done something so terrible he can't forgive us. But remember what Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Jesus will not condemn you. If you're being condemned, it's Satan or your own attitude, not Jesus. He called Peter back to himself. He's calling you today. Will you run to him with your open arms, jump into his arms and say, yes, Jesus, I love you. I want to follow you. Thank you for forgiving me. And he will give you new direction and guidance in this life. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.